So the other day, uh, it was just the weekend prior to Memorial Day weekend, and I was doing some kind of last-minute grocery shopping and picking up a few of the necessary items, and as I was going through Lunds, I went through that freezer section where they have the ice cream. And as I went by there, I was thinking, that would be nice. So I opened the thing and I grabbed, you know, it took me a little bit. I found exactly the one that I kind of wanted and I put it into my cart. And then a guy who's, who's younger than me, or was really older than me, um, and, and you might be, okay, I hear the laughing there. I, I think I'm 25 always, so anybody over 25 is older than me. Um, grabs these two ice creams and he's going by and he's going, Bogo, really, Bogo. <laughs> Buy one, get one free. And I'm thinking to myself, why one? You get the other one for free. So I, I'm, I look and I take that and I put it in my cart and I start to walk down and I feel this conviction. Because I have some family members at home who are really into healthy eating. I mean, seriously, they're eating like asparagus. <laughs> they're eating kale and actually making kale chips. And, and I'm thinking, well, you know what? This could be a little difficult, a little tempting. And I started to process this, and I kept walking along, and I left my cart, and I grabbed one, and then I grabbed the other one, and I, and I put them back in there. Because I always just think to myself, you know what? I don't want to lead them into temptation. You know, I can use it, but no, uh, no. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what, I, I can do that. So we come to this prayer, and it's a very interesting thing. When you think about it, Jesus says to his Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Kind of going, well, what? What is he is he praying for what, you know, my, kid, you know, my family was hoping that I wouldn't bring home? You know, what's, what's going on here? You ever thought about that? Does God your Father lead you into temptation? It's hopefully as we go through this message at points I'll be able to answer that because it's kind of a yes-no thing. But I think it'll make sense as we work through this passage. Let's pray. Father, I would ask that you would make very, very clear to us once again, your heart and your ways. God, we are here because we want your presence in our life. We have worshipped you and we've invited you to be present as we're here. And I invite you to be present in the words that I speak, in my life that I live, and the life that we live as we not only hear but we leave from here because, God, it is our desire to bring the presence of God everywhere. It's our desire to fulfill this prayer of Jesus to bring heaven to earth in whatever way that looks where we live or work or play. So we pray that and we ask here our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this series, A New Way to Pray, is fast approaching the end, and it always kind of gives me, I feel a little bad because I feel like we're just, I'm just getting really enjoying it, and we're going to be landing next week with the last in the series. But when I talked about a new way to pray, I'm not talking about something novel, some kind of adding to the truth, something that wasn't there. But again, it's Jesus getting to the heart of the truth, the intent, helping us understand what's really behind the law that we can just externally do. 
It's helping us get to the understanding of the spiritual practices. What does it mean when we, when we do these kind of practices that Jesus, on, as custom, would, would go to the synagogue, he would attend church, so to speak, or that he would go and he'd have times of prayer, he'd customarily do that, or he, he would read from the Torah. What does it mean to fast? He would talk about getting to the intent of it. And so when we talk about a new way to pray, we're talking about what does it mean for prayer to come out of our hearts in the way that it did for Jesus? Because he would say to people, you know, you've heard it said, don't murder. But he'd say, what's really important is the intent of that. What's in your heart? Is there hate? And you've heard it said, don't commit adultery, which you can kind of go, I'm not doing that. But he says, what's in your heart? Is there lust? He doesn't let us get off easily. At one point right near the end, when he's ready to go to his death, he says, I'm going to give you a new command. Love one another. And they're thinking, that's as old as the book of the Old Testament. And he says, then, as I have loved you, which gives it a whole new meaning. So his disciples are watching Jesus, and Jesus has this habit of prayer. It's one of his practices to form his own spirit. His own spirit. And he would often go off to prayer. We're told that in Luke numbers of times. Uh, and he would go to these lonely, solitary places where he would converse with his father. Because it was really important that on a regular basis, he was kind of getting his heart alone so that he could hear from his father. Because the world's so full. I mean, if you realize it, you're just go, 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 right? And Jesus is kind of modeling, even in his life, how important it was to just get away. And so he gets away. He has one of these great conversations with his father. And his, his followers are watching this, and they're, they're kind of amazed. They know something incredibly important is happening there because there's, there's this life-transforming Spirit of God moving through Jesus. And so in verse 1 of chapter 11, it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us what you're doing there. You know, John did that with his disciples because that's what rabbis do. Rabbis were teachers, and teachers would teach you how to live a life. It wasn't just what to think. It wasn't merely just um, um, what you should know. It wasn't merely just the things you should say. But it's the way you should live. It's the things you do. The rabbi was looking for a life change. We talk about that a lot here at Why Is That a Free? What does it mean to to live life change? And so he goes, let me teach you to pray. He says, "Um, here's how you begin. And it's the context of this prayer is really important. He begins, our father. Now, he could have said my father, but he begins our father because he's well aware that what he wants for his children is that we get along and that we live in a community together. And that we do so in such a way that we reflect as children our Father in heaven. So he says our Father, using the word in the Aramaic, Abba, which means Daddy. And he says, Dad. And he says, who's really this big shot? And I mean this. You know, anybody ever a kid, you kind of think, you know, you know our, my dad could take your dad. Have you ever done that kind of thing? Well, Jesus really believes that. He goes, our Father who fills the heavens bigger and greater and more sovereign than the farthest star, the, the, the furthest part of the universe, as the Hebrew mind would think of the heavens. That's our dad, he's that big, and yet, in the Hebrew mindset, they talk about the atmosphere, the very air you breathe, our Father who is closer than the very air that's in your lungs. That's our dad, he, he, he is a big shot. And because he's really important, the first request that he has are towards his father. And in, in prayer, if this is a model prayer, one of the great things about this, it puts you in a relationship. You are always a child coming to your dad. And as you come to your dad, it's about his reputation. He goes, hallowed be his name. May he be looked upon. And one of the great things in prayer to do 
is to once again get an awareness of who God is. Because when you see how great he is and you begin to worship him, it puts everything in your life a bit more into perspective. And he says, I just would like for your reputation, Dad, for everybody to know it and that you would be honored in the way that you should. And then he moves to the next request again, all still about his father. And he goes, you know, Dad, we got the best home. The way that you run heaven is so incredible. It's just amazing. It operates so well. There's no one crying. There's no sin. There's nothing here. Your influence here is so great. Would you, Dad, in the way that I've experienced it in heaven, would you allow for people to experience that here? Wouldn't it be cool, Dad, if your influence went to every person in this room and every place they go? And then at that point, he begins to turn the request to himself. After he's got this perspective set, he now goes, Dad, well, you know, I, got, I, I would really like some daily needs met. You know, physical food, just... And so I'm going to trust you. I'm asking you to do that. I'm trusting you're going to do that. Meet my daily needs. And then one of the great needs that all of us will have if we are living in relationship with others. You know, because really, the, the problem in life is not trials, it's people, right? They bring the trials. And if you're living with people, you're going to need forgiveness. So he moves right from, you know, meet my needs to one of the greatest needs that I'm going to have is that I can live in good relationship with you, Dad, because I'm going to fail, I'm going to do some things wrong, and man, I am so grateful for the way you forgive me. And I pray that I will, not, not hope to, I'd like to, but he goes to say that I will choose just like you freely forgive. I will be obedient like that. Which then leads us to this part of the prayer. Which is an interesting thing. Lead us not into temptation. But would you deliver us from evil? There's three questions that I want you to think about as we go through this passage of scripture. And and the first question is this. Are you committed to the heart of Jesus? For a moment, we're going to just step back and see the heart of Jesus in this prayer. And the second thing I'd like for you to do is to ask this question. Are you aware of the reality of evil? And third, are you prepared for the certainty of trials? Kind of want a roadmap? That's kind of where we're heading. Hopefully we'll get to stop at all the points that I have here. But if you step behind this prayer and look at the heart of Jesus, as I've reflected on this over the, you know, really, I would say over the last few weeks, I've been praying this now for the last couple of years with people, and it's just been in my consciousness, in my awareness, so I, I'm kind of bringing together stuff that has been just in my heart for a while. I, I, I have to reflect on this, and I go, well, Kevin, I step back, not, not from this specific phrase, lead us not into temptation, but these two phrases, forgive us our sins, as we freely forgive others, and then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When you, put, you join us together and you step back behind that, I ask myself, do I have that kind of heart? Is that the kind of heart that is growing inside of me? Is that the kind of heart that's growing inside of you? Do you have the heart? Do you want the heart of Jesus? It's a really important question. And I don't mean it in a general way. There's a hunger in Jesus to be holy like his father. And he calls us to pray the same way. Man, I want to be like you, Dad. I really want to be like you, Dad. There's a wonderful transition between these two requests, these two verses that we're looking, we looked at last week and this week. And if you remember the context, these requests are intentionally, um, one follows the other. Because there's something that's behind this that you'll miss if you don't keep both these requests together. Dad, forgive us, and like you, Dad, we will forgive freely. But what is interesting here is that he also prays 
dead, as he says, forgive us for those things that we've done, which is to look backwards, he now in the present looks forward. Okay, things have been cleaned up here, and now he looks forward and he says, God, I'd really like to live in a clean way for you. Would you be willing to lead me into the way, as we've sung just a few moments ago, into the way everlasting? Would you begin to direct my steps? Would you be helping me in this process? He moves from a confession of sin to a consciousness of our own personal weakness. And in between in this present moment is this heart that is passionate for the presence of God to fill him throughout the day. That's a really important prayer. Man, I want to be like you, Jesus. See, both requests are for purity. The one in the past, but so is the one in the future. Because the one in the future, when you put them together, it's to be holy like our Father in heaven is holy. Confession for cleansing, past. Confession and a commitment to cleanliness, future. We pray for purity through forgiveness and protection through faithfulness. Not just our own faithfulness, though. It's a prayer for the faithfulness of God, which we know will always be faithful. But he still prays that, and he says, I want to cooperate with you, God. This whole life that you're living with Jesus is about participating with him. It's your opportunity throughout your life to think and and to to process and to live like he did, to choose to cooperate with your Father in heaven. So he's saying in a sense, as as I walk through this, I would ask that as we walk together, you would not lead me, and I can trust that, but I also ask that in the process, when I do come across some of these things, I will cooperate with you. Because Jesus had a single ambition. And we talk about it in our church. It's our mission. It's what we say is we're all about. It's what I hope every one of you are all about. It's to take your next step or to help another person take their next step to know, follow, and become like Jesus. That's the bottom line of what we're here doing. I don't know if I was going to share this. I share this sometimes privately with people. I have this little ambition in my life, and that ambition is that when I die, I'll be as close to Jesus as I can be, in a sense of him filling me in the character of my being. So that really the translation won't be a whole lot. But you all know me, so you can laugh, because i got a long way to go. But that's my heart. If I could be formed in the character of Christ to the most that I can, that I could live in the fullness of his presence on a daily basis, that I could lead a group of people who want to do the same thing, that we could have a church that wants the presence of God in such a way that the presence is in you so that where you go, people begin to experience love and they see joy and they experience peace and all the fruits of the Spirit begin to build within you. To be holy... Peter writes, as obedient children, 1 Peter 1, 14 and 15, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But now that you know what the real goal in life is, but as Jesus was called to be holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, and he quotes from Leviticus chapters 11, 19 and 20, be holy as I am holy. That's the call. And this is not just a moral goodness kind of thing. In Scripture, it would be if you had a whole bunch of mics here. In Leviticus, it's the idea that it's unique. It's set apart. It's so different. This God is so different than anything we know. He is, he is omnipotent and he is omnipresent. He is all-powerful. He is full of love and joy and peace and, and all those kind of things. And just think, if we allow the Spirit of God to fill us and we become so filled up with the presence of God, here's what's really true. When you are so full with the presence of God, your first line of protection is already there. Think about it. If you are stuffed full with God, what could tempt you? There's an author who writes, he says, um, he, he talks about this. He says, the reason joy is so important in God and so joy is so important in our Christian life is because it really is one of your first lines of defense against temptation. He says, failure to attain a deeply satisfying life 
always has the effect of making sinful actions seem good. Catch that? Failure to attain a deeply satisfying life always has the effect of making sinful actions seem good. See, when you're full of joy and your heart is at peace and you experience the Heavenly Father's deep love, when you're satisfied in your relationship with Him and you're becoming like Him in His character, when you're full of that presence, your stuff full, that which would tempt you is far less tempting. And the way I think of it, and I, yeah, the only way it's best for me to think about it, and maybe to help you think about it, to illustrate it this way, and I, I think of Thanksgiving. You go to Thanksgiving and you're, you're prepared to eat, right? Stuff yourself full of turkey and, and stuffing and cranberries and mashed potatoes and gravy and sweet potatoes. Just some of you are ready for lunch and you're getting hungry, right? Corn. And some of you actually eat lefsa and, and um, pumpkin pie and apple pie and even mincemeat pie some people eat. Whatever's placed before you. How many of you, after you have eaten and you're stuffed full, I mean, you know what I mean. You're aching. You just want to lay on a couch like a you know, beach whale. How many of you, if they come with a sirloin steak, are tempted? Just isn't there. That's the picture that you get of the heart of Jesus. So stuff me full with your presence, Lord. In this present moment, I want to live in that cleanliness and I also want to move in this place where you are pure and clean within me so that when I walk, it's not just about moral pureness. It's about that I'm so filled with you that when I touch other people, they experience you. The first line of protection is between this prayer when he says, forgive and lead not. It's committed to the heart of Jesus. Are you there? Maybe you're taking steps towards it and you're beginning to understand it. Maybe you're going, yeah, I really want this, but I don't get it. But you know what? That's what this is for. You get to grow in that. But there's a second thing that I think is really important in this, and that's this question. Are you aware of the reality of evil? Now, here's where these two lines, we're going to look specifically at the requests, really are important. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And and those two lines are a classic Hebrew parallelism. You'll see that in Old Testament writings. They're not identical thoughts, but the second one reinforces the first line and actually explains it, giving the implications more fully. So in a sense, this is a request that asks God for help, that he would give us guidance, and as he guides us, deliver us, because we know this world is full of temptation and sin. We know that as we step out the door here, and even as you're sitting here, the world around us is, is able to tempt us, but we also know that within us, our flesh is operative. And we just tend to do those things that we learned in our past and react in those ways. And so you have this, 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 this acknowledgement right here in this line. This is why this prayer is so important to pray on a daily basis. Because what it does, it stops you and it causes you to acknowledge this, that we live in a world that is evil. And it also forces you to go, I'm not perfect. And, and you keep that context, I'm a child, Dad. Dad, you know I'm a child and I'm growing in this whole thing. You understand me. And so as I walk out into this evil world, I ask that as I participate and I, I walk with you, that you will begin to move through me in such a way because I'm aware of what's out here. And you know, when I was um, processing this through the years, one of the things I used to always go, what does this lead us not into temptation? What is it? And it, it just struck me that what is primary here is this idea of the reality of evil. 
You know, what the Father in heaven wants us to realize is that every day when we pray, one of the things we pray is we're not just asking for daily bread. We're not just asking to be in good relationship through this whole process of forgiveness, but we're actually going, God, I'm vulnerable. I can't set out this day because I know what I might step into, but I also know what's in me. And I know what I'm tempted towards. It's really interesting. Before Jesus um, went to the cross and he had this major temptation, he's at the the Garden of Gethsemane and, and here's this time again where he's saying, not my will, but your will. He has to pray it three times. He works through this and as he's working through it, he's trying to keep these guys awake. Would you pray? Would you pray? At one point he says to them, he says to them, you know what? Watch and pray. If you guys would understand and if you would just be alert, if you would be aware of your vulnerability, if you would watch and pray, you would be able to overcome this. But I understand something he says to them. I understand the spirit is willing. I, I, I get it that all of you, like me, we all want the heart of Jesus. Oh, yeah, we want to be, our intent is to be filled with the presence of God. And, and yet we understand that daily we need tune-ups because we understand our vulnerability. So in this process, there is this whole sense of saying, God, I'm vulnerable. Once again, I need you. Because the flesh is weak. If you for a second think you can just walk out of here and do it in your own strength, you will not. And what's so wonderful about this prayer is it draws you back to your knees. Awareness that evil is real requires humility. It requires you to get serious about this part of the prayer. You get real about your own weakness and about your need of dad. When you lose this awareness, you're susceptible. And it happens. Many have fallen prey to the schemes of the evil one. You have probably fallen to the schemes of the evil one. You know what that's like. See, living without this daily awareness, our desires will become enticed and we will be led into them and we will hurt others. We will offend our God through our sin. How many of you remember those zappers? You know those bug zappers? They were really popular at one time. You know, they're still around and some of you may have, you know, have them in your own backyards, whatever. But they have this, this zapping noise, right? Well, my friend, a friend of mine, he was sharing with me when they first came out that one of his buddies got one of these and they were over at their house for dinner so this guest house for dinner and and my friend kept hearing this zapping noise and he said you know what's this zapping sound i hear every few seconds oh that's the sound of the bugs hitting our bug zapper his guest said with great pride of the purchase and and then he went on to explain this guy went on to explain how the gadget attracted the insects with its light only to zap them when they got close and my friend said it went on all night long bug after bug after bug, after bug. You've heard that, you know? Hundreds of bugs, he said, all night long. Zap, zap, zap. And you might think, seriously, think about it for a second, you might think that one of those bugs, sooner or later, is going to catch on. It's going to go, oh, goes back and says to all the bugs, team meeting, there's a bug zapper over there, there's a light, it's really attractive, you don't want to go near it. Well, doesn't really happen that way. You might even think that at one point a bug would be smart enough that it would get close to that and it would look down at this, this graveyard of other bugs and go, oh, I'm not going there. You, know, you think about it, one bug couldn't possibly be that dense, right? Only a bug living mindlessly would go into that trap. But we're not that far from it. And we laugh at it, but it's true. I mean, think about it. The evil one puts the glowing light of temptation in front of all of us. 
And if you just listen closely, every day in the news you will hear political leaders, zap. Pastors and church leaders, zap. Successful business leaders, zap. Wealthy athletes, zap. School teachers, accountants, administrative assistants, zap, zap, zap. Could be happening right now in your life. Over and over, we hear of reports of people who fall into temptations, whose lives are devastated. They destroy their marriages. They rip apart their families. They rock their world. Their soul withers. Zap. And you ask yourself, why do we voluntarily give in to what we know is going to be destruction? What causes us to be so tempted to go to the light? And the Bible teaches that we have an enemy. That's what Jesus is praying. That is bigger and stronger and smarter than us. He devotes time and invests energy. And he marshals all the forces that is in his effort to do so to cause you to fall. This prayer is so important. This attitude of a dad who comes with a child before him and says, Dad, I don't want to. I want to have the heart of Jesus. And I want to understand the reality of evil because I understand my own vulnerability. Now I say this, and I recognize that this could possibly be happening in your life. And you might be thinking, well, not really. You know, David was this incredible hero of the faith. He killed Goliath. And David had this um, opportunity where he was, you know, Saul killed his thousand, but he is ten thousand. This incredible guy who goes into the wilderness and he's faithful to God even through the wilderness time. Even at one point, a couple times, can take into his own hands. He could kill the king. He doesn't even touch the anointed. And yet it says in the word of God that at a certain point, after he had made and all these accomplishments took place, he settled into the palace. He became complacent. He forgot his own vulnerability. I think the passion may not have been growing, the heart after Jesus and the ability to understand his vulnerability because it says in 1 Samuel 11.1 1, that in the spring when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men, which you kind of go, what? what's going on? Usually the king would go out. But David, it says, remained in Jerusalem. That's an important point. You can underline in the scripture. And one evening, David got up, and from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. She was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her, and one thing led to another, until finally David gets her pregnant. He then tries to cover it up, and he brings her husband home. He's this loyal, faithful soldier, ends up actually having him killed in battle. And he creates, from that point on, havoc in his family. One step led to another, and before you know it, there you are. Zap. Because just hear this. No one in this room starts out committing adultery. You don't, you don't go into your marriage going, yeah, I'm going to do that. It's usually one step after another. Someone's attractive. Someone's emotionally paying attention to you. It's one step after another. This prayer is so important. No one actually takes the first step, you know, goes, I'm going to enter this business so I can embezzle, unless you have a really evil heart. But what happens is you just need a little bit of money because you need to pay some bills. No one else starts out as an alcoholic. Usually it's just some social drinking until eventually you need it to be socially alive. No one starts out wanting to be in debt. It's just one bill and then another thing you get attracted to, another experience you buy and eventually. No one starts out seeking, I'm going to divide a family, I'm going to divide a workplace, I'm going to divide a church. It's usually one step until you zap. And I just want to say, if you're taking one of those steps... What Satan wants you to do is keep you in the shame of darkness. 
If you're in one of those places, I just appeal to you with all my heart. Talk to me. Talk to someone you can trust. Get it into the open. Because part of this prayer says, God, I really need you. And the way God works is he works through us. As I thought about these words, it hit me, and I was thinking about, you know, what does it mean to lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil? And I began to realize, you know, I just thought about this. Just think how many times God, my Father, has actually directed my path away from a trial that was so filled with temptation that I couldn't have overcome. I will only know that when I get to heaven someday. You see, if you perfectly trust your father, you perfectly understand that he won't lead you into something that you can't handle. In fact, the word of God tells us just the opposite, that he allows sometimes, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, he allows temptations, but he, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, there is no temptation here among any of you that is, that is not common to man, that, is, that you do not have, by God's help, a way out. If you are in a place Because the next thing is this point. Are you prepared for the certainty of trials? Because what you need to understand is that, yes, God even allows us to go into trials. And this is going to blow kind of your mind for a second because Jesus is saying, lead us not into temptation. He's actually saying, don't lead us into something that you know that can influence and so so that the evil one can, can, can in any way wipe us out. But he also prays and trusts that any trial, any temptation that I am faced with, he has given me the ability to go through it. So that with Jesus, it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, it says that Jesus, he was so full of the Spirit, after he's baptized, and he says, this is my son, I'm getting ready to put him into ministry, instead of sending him off to ministry, because that's what we think, you know, you come to Jesus, you go, oh man, Jesus, what a great life, and you're going to walk with Jesus, and no more problems, everything's great and rosy, I get promotion after promotion, my family is great, until I hit retirement years, and then I just golf, you know, Right. Not the course for a Christian, by the way. Because here's some things I want you to... Are you prepared for the certainty of trials? I want to tell you there's three things. You can expect them, you need to use them, and you need to learn from them. So even Jesus himself wasn't free from temptation. We read in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit. So he's full, he's led by... Well, that's kind of a good thing. He's full and led by into the desert for 40 days where he is tempted by the devil. Well, wait a second. I thought he was praying his prayer. Well, God knew something needed to happen in him. In that temptation, in that process, God is doing something. He's taking that which is innocence and he's moving it to virtue. He's taking faith and forming it into a pure faith. And as he does so, Jesus, as he overcomes, because he has the faith and the ability to do it, he is fully God, fully man. He works through this so that we can see that God even uses. In fact, Mark tells us this, that he was sent into the desert. In fact, the word in the Greek meant he was driven into the desert. You know, there's sometimes that God goes, you know, Kevin, I'm just going to bring you into this trial. And here's what you need to know. The word lead us not into temptation is really the word trial or test. It's more of a neutral word. But in every trial and every test, there's a temptation to sin, right? The temptation isn't to believe that God will come through for you. The temptation is to move out of the truth of the fact that you can rest knowing he loves you. You can be joyful. Not happy, but joyful, because you know that he's in control of this. You can live in peace. Every test is to move you out of that. And when you move out of that, you move out of the spirit of the living God. 
you move it out as a grass. And so he says, here is Jesus. He comes and it says that after he goes through the test and he fulfills every one of those tests because his, no, his father knows he can. And he does it in such a way that, you know what? He fulfilled the test um, to the nth degree. None of us ever do. And we probably never will fully. We can overcome tests but none of us will be perfect. And so here he does that, he does that, and it says that he came back and, and Satan left him until an opportune time. So when you go through a test at another point, Satan's gonna be ready for another one. But then it says this, he returned to Galilee, I love this, in the power of the Spirit, full and led, and now he's got the power. Why? Because he's in a place where his character is such that through that, he is now fully in a place that the power of God is released through him in this time of ministry. Now he was released fully into it. So what I think is interesting here is you have this, 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 this idea of you can expect trials. One thing is certain, we will all face trials. But now the question is, will you use them? So you got trials coming into your life. Anybody in a time of testing? So you got a trial that comes into your life. And what I think is, uh, I love this word, verse in, in James. The brother of Jesus says it well. He says, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. How many are going, this is great? You're in one right now. Wow, thanks for the gift. This is great, God. Because you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. Here's what's really great about trials and tests. God knows that as you go under a trial and a test, what's really in there is going to come out. So if you're easily offended, it's just going to come out. If you're a person who loses your peace, you're going to be, you know, we sing all day, oh, Lord, thank you so much. We love you. We trust you and all around you. And you walk out of here, and the next thing that happens, you kind of go, oh, and you've lost your peace. It, it, it forces, it, it's, what he is doing in the process, he wants you to use the trial, because what he's doing in the process is saying, I want you to trust in my love and my goodness that I will provide for you in every way. Let's cooperate and lead through this together, and I will build the muscle of faith, because I know you can do it. And, and I love, in NIV it says, consider it pure joy when these things come. J.B. Phillips is the, is the best translation in this one, I think. He says, when trials and temptations crowd into your life." Welcome them as friends. How many of you are going right today, you know, oh, thanks so much. But if God is for you, who could be against you? And if God is for you in this process, he's doing something in you. He's building his character. Attitude in this whole thing is everything. God changes you so that through you, he can change the world around you. You are the answer to this prayer. You bring heaven to the relationships you're in, to the work that you go to, to the friends that you associate with. And what is that presence of heaven? It's the character of God. It's his peace. It's his, his goodness. It's his kindness. It's self-control. It's, it's learning to hold back when you want to manipulate and step in and do something. You go, no, I don't need to because God's here. I trust him in this. In every trial is a temptation to sin. But here's a really cool thing, too. In every trial, there's new ground to win. There's new ground to win. So if you expect them, and then you begin to use them as friends, the next thing is you learn from them. And the reality is you're going to go through lots of tests. In fact, you may be going through the same test again and again. And I'll explain that in just as I close in a minute. But you may be going through those same trials again and again. I remember when I was in kindergarten... I had a test, and it was to count up to 100. Anybody ever had to do that kind of thing? I got to 76, and I, I blanked. 
And I, you know, I had that test anxiety and it kind of followed me through it. Some of the days of my life shows up every once in a while where you get nervous and you can't think of the answer because all you can think about is the fact that I can't think of the answer. You get that? So I'm at 76. Well, the next day I did it and I did the whole thing just great. And so just like tests, when you do a test, you know, it's not only that in the test there's a temptation to sin, but you get to, when you take the test, you get to move on to a new level. So the test you're in right now puts you into a place where you'll move to a new level. So when I learned how to count, you know what I began to do after that? I actually learned not only how to count, then they taught me the next test was addition. And then I went from that to subtraction. And then you go from subtraction to, to multiplication. And then if you're good, you go from subtra- multiplication to division. And then you start working with fractions. And then I remember in fifth grade when I started calculus. Um, <laughs> yeah, Right. But here's the reality of the test. See, when you take a test, it puts you in a place to move to a new place. And some of you are taking the same test over and over again. And God's going, I'm I'm just trying to, you know, these these things that have come in your life, these things that are really difficult, they're like spotters, like when you're lifting weights. They're there to help you. They're your friends. What they're doing, you might think it's really, oh, get me out of it. Oh, Lord, I can't stand it. I've been there. You You know what that's like? He's saying, I'm just... Build the muscle of your faith. I want your character to become like Jesus. I want you to have a heart of Jesus. Commit it to that. Understanding how much you need him and you're vulnerable and your weakness in this world and the reality of it is evil. But also know that you can expect trials and you can use these trials as friends. And as you can do this, you can actually learn from these trials. So here's Peter. Good old Peter. He's taken the same test a couple different times. He's, he's out at the lake right when he's going to begin to follow Jesus. And he's at the, at the boat. He's washing the nets. And Jesus is up there teaching. And he's kind of on a new relationship with this Jesus guy. And, and now since Jesus comes to him and goes, you know, I'd like to go fishing. Whoa, wait a second. I've been out all night. You know, we're good fishermen. No, but I'd like... So he takes him out and they take him out. And he gets out into the, to the, to the lake of Galilee and Jesus has thrown the nets over. And Peter's going, oh, I thought we just did a fishing line. These are so hard to clean. I'm making some of this stuff up. Anyway, um, and he throws the net out. The net gets filled with fish so much so that it begins to break and they get it into their boats. Their boats begin to sink and Peter gets on his knees and goes, get away from me, Jesus. I'm not worthy of you. I just can't do this. And Jesus goes, good, you're getting the first test. It's not about you. It's not about your abilities. You need grace. You need me. So I'm going to make you into a fisher of men. It's my job to make you that way. And so then they go to another point, opportune time, Jesus. Here he is once again. He's in the garden. He's telling them to watch and pray. He says, Simon, Simon. He uses his old name, the name of the flesh, because he sees the trajectory of Simon's soul. Because Simon at one point says at dinner, guess what, Jesus? No one's going to do anything to you. I'm going to die for you. And Jesus goes, oh, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. God's allowing this trial to come in. What I love about this is he goes, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And he doesn't go, but I'm going to stop him. Right? This trial is really necessary for who you're going to become. And then he says to him, and here's the thing, Peter. Simon, he's calling him. When you fail, your faith, when when your faith fails, I want you to know this, that when you fail, that you can turn back and strengthen your brothers. And you kind of go, well, that's an interesting thing. He wasn't saying, I'm praying for your faith that it will make it through this trial. I know that's not going to happen. I'm praying for this because you're the kind of person that when you blow it big, you feel like I'm done with you. I want you to know, because Peter, when he fails and he denies Jesus three times, he leaves him and says, I'm no good. I can't do it. And Jesus comes to him one more time and he says, guess what? It's not about you. 
It's not about you. It's not about how good you are, how great you are. It's not about how strong you are. It's about this God who wants you to participate in his grace and to move with him. So you always learn from these trials. Here's what you learn. When you're going through it, God is gracious, he'll provide. When you blow it, God is gracious, he'll provide. And when you go into that trial again, God is gracious and you'll provide. And eventually your faith will be strong enough, you'll get through it. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.